Well, I think it's time for us to move on. These, this is a difficult thing, you know. This conference is, you come here to work, huh? Yeah. You know, and Paul says, if you don't work, you can't eat, see? And so you have to work because they're going to give us lunch. So that's what we're going to do. What I'd like to talk to you about now, I would better go back and see that I'm at the right place. I'd like to talk to you about something called whole person care. Now, we talk about whole person all the time. But you know, if you get really down to the nitty-gritty of it, it seems as though every health ministry uh, specialist takes upon themselves a section of the health ministry that they really love. You know, they, they just love this particular part of it. So you say, well, are we representing whole person care or are we representing what we like? Now, we have a dietitian. Uh, Dr. Fred Harding is a dietitian. He's got a public doctor of public health. He works in our department. He, his portfolio is to look after nutrition aspects of the health ministry, but he's only one in our department. Dr. Landless, he looks after uh, the uh, temperance side of things, but he's only one in our department. And then we've got Dr. Kathleen Kunteroff. She's looking about resilience and uh, at-risk behaviors in youth. She's just one in our department. And then I'm at the General Conference, and I talk about coordinating these things, but I'm also talking about health professionals, working with the hospitals, on the medical schools that we've got. And so so, so I, I'm working in that area. And then we have some associate directors who are uh, volunteers from Loma Linda. So we have Dr. Pat Jones, who is the associate director for nursing. So she will run the nursing component. And then we have the Associate Director for Public Health, the, the, the Dean of the School of Public Health, uh, Dr. Tricia Pennycook. She does the public health aspects. And then we've got the Dean of uh, Allied Health School. He's an associate in our department. He does Allied Health uh, Departments. And then we have Dr. Dan Jiang, who's the Associate Dean for the School of Medicine there. And he does uh, medicine and helps, helps me and, and, and that team as we work together as a team. So Health Ministries is broad. Health ministry is not just teaching um, a vegetarian diet. See? Health ministry is not just let's move. Now, all of those are wonderful things. I mean, the, 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 the let's move a program that the North American Division doing is fantastic, but it is not the totality of health ministries because each of us is a whole person with many many needs. We have the physical needs, but we have the mental needs, emotional needs. We have social needs. We have spiritual needs. And so it is important in health ministries that we know we will address intentionally, intelligently, and especially if you're a pastor, you will bring to your church the balance you will bring the balance of health ministry. Because, quite honestly, it is very possible for us to become fanatics. See? It's very possible for us to become fanatical. There is a condition called orthorexia. Orthorexia is not anorexia. Anorexia is where somebody doesn't want to eat anything. 
orthorexia is that individual who is so focused that they are almost neurotically obsessive with eating right, orthorexia. These people have all the characteristics of an obsessive-compulsive mentality. They have a neurosis. It's important that the health ministry message is not taken over by those who are unbalanced in their approach to life. And so we emphasize the whole person approach. Jesus met people where they were. That is how we must do health ministries. We must begin with health ministries in a broad and accepting way. I talked about the prostitute. The prostitute came to see us over many years. She didn't change from being a prostitute until she got well down in her, in her experience. We sent her children, my wife and I sent her children to the camp at school and she said to them, now don't steal anything. See, they, She was in a culture, a subculture, a mindset that required a major transition. And health ministry does not mean that I'm going to talk to her about becoming a vegan. Because she's got a long way to go. See, And so in health ministry, I just want us to have this balance this sense of staying to the middle of the road and looking at people who they are. This presentation is not exactly the way it's written, but the elements are in there. We want to visit the gospel of health, as Ellen White called it. Do you hear that? The gospel of health. The good news of health. That's what Ellen White called it. She said, this is good news. Now, I'm not going to talk about it just from the way the, the department functions, but it is rather a pivotal and a central role in the witness and the evangelism of our church. You see, people are more concerned with who we are. Who we are rather than what we preach. Every time somebody comes and learns about Adventists, we went to the World Health Organization, we go to PAHO, we go to these different organizations. You know, before they really talk to us, they go and they Google us. Right? They want to know who we are. And when we go there, they know more about us than sometimes we even know ourselves. I went to Pajo. You, it's hard to believe. Dr. Landless and I went to Pajo, and they were telling us about our strategic goals. They had found out who we were. So it's important in our witness to people that we truly represent who we are, not what we preach. There's a distinct difference People are going to want to know, are we truly joyful? Do we truly know the Lord? They're more concerned about us, how we actually live. I am tired of people saying, I'm a vegan. Mm -hmm. 
But I do like ice cream. See, I don't care whether they like ice cream or not. But don't preface it with I'm a vegan or I'm almost a vegan. Be who you are. See? Be who you are in fidelity to yourself, in fidelity to what people see because your integrity speaks far louder than your words. And don't claim to be what you are not. Don't pretend you are a vegan if, in fact, you're a lacto-ovo. And don't pretend to be a lacto-ovo if, in fact, you enjoy roast beef and turkey dinners and you are eating a, a whole uh, panoply of, of flesh foods. Don't... You know, I sometimes say to myself, why are Adventists all vegetarians on Sabbath? You go to church, they're all vegetarians. Somebody invites you out, they, they always give you vegetarian food. Why are they all vegetarians on Sabbath? Now, we might say, let me tell you, we might say, aha, you see, they're hypocrites. That's what we might think. I want you to turn it around. Is it possible that we who are promoting vegetarianism have made them feel so guilty that they can't be themselves in our presence? Think about that. If we've made people so uncomfortable, have we really ministered to them? See, if 90% of the church is not vegetarian, which is the statistical fact, all right? If 90% of the world church is not vegetarian, why do we make them feel guilty? That's not Christian. Now, we might encourage them to change their ways, but let's not be judgmental because we are ministering to the whole person. You see, evangelism, evangelism is whereby we display what we like, and we tell others what we want them to see. But witness, witness, is the process whereby others learn to like what we display and want to be who we really are. So I'm calling for integrity, and in celebrationis, there is that I that doesn't stand for interpersonal relationship because that's on the S, social support. But the I stands for integrity. There is a call for God's people to have integrity, to truly represent what they claim to be. You know, friendship, the relationships, are so very important. You know, we met by chance, we turned into friends, and now our destiny keeps us close to each other, making our friendship grow more with the passing of time. You are a friend for the lifetime. We need to be like children. There is no guile in children. There is no artifice in their behavior. Members, 70% of the time that are brought into our church, are brought into church not through evangelism, but through friendship. Friendship has been statistically shown among the members to be the single most important, attractive thing to bring to it. That's where the South American division has it. They have small group ministries, less than a dozen, just like the disciples of Jesus. 
and they do their work in small groups and don't believe that it's because they preach the doctrines of the church any more ardently than evangelists anywhere else preaches the doctrines of the church. But over the course of a year, a group of 12 people will become friends. And it is through friendship. And that is what we need to bring to our health ministry. Unfortunately, many people think of Adventists not for what we do, but for what we don't do. It's for what we don't do. Oh, you're an Adventist. Uh, you don't drink coffee, do you? Oh, you're an Adventist. You don't eat meat, do you? Oh, you're an Adventist. You don't go to the football game on Sabbath, do, Saturday, do you? See? It's all a lot of don'ts. We need to change health ministry that we are not going to be seen as people who don't do everything. You see, this is a misconception of our legalistic foreroots. We have and have to acknowledge that we taught our Seventh-day Adventist message in a very legalistic way. A hundred years ago, well, it's more than a hundred years ago, in 1903. My grandfather had only been an Adventist for two years in 1903. So, in 1903, we established a hospital in the country of Malawi. Of course, it wasn't called Malawi then, it was called Nyasaland. And in Nyasaland, we had a hospital, as older than Loma Linda. This mission hospital had a name. What do you think the name of that hospital is? Well, those of you, you know, who, who, who may travel, and do, it's called Malamula Hospital. You've heard of Malamula Hospital, haven't you? You know, we've heard of Maluti Hospital and, and Malamula Mission Hospital, Adventist Mission Hospital. What a wonderful hospital it has been. Do you know what the name Malamulo means? It means laws. Of course, it was important for us to emphasize the Sabbath. We wanted to emphasize the Sabbath. But you know, when I go to, uh, when I, I, I go to see a Salvation Army hospital, do you know what it's called? It's called a Grace Hospital. And you know, that is a very harsh judgment on us that we would call our hospital don'ts. You see, Sometimes it's like this cartoon, don't smoke, don't drink, you're not eating right, get a haircut, tuck in your shirt, clean your room, stop slouching, turn that stereo down, get a job, be home by midnight, brush your teeth, you watch too much TV, get off the phone, take the dog out, mow the lawn, don't talk back. I only want what's good for you. <laughs> you like that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's in the PowerPoint, <laughs> okay. But is this health ministry? I mean, we made it look like, uh, you know, the Surgeon General. <laughs> okay, but that's not, what we, that's not what we should be known for because we're ministering to whole people, whole people who have spiritual needs. Jesus Christ didn't come for those who were perfect. Jesus Christ didn't come for those who were perfect. He came for those who were broken. That's why we're in health ministries. He came for those who were downtrodden, rejected. He came for the prostitutes. Yeah, the prostitutes that in my practice I treated like royalty. 
just like I did the rich Jewish princesses, because they're all children of the king. So we have to treat everybody, the whole person. And in health ministries, you know, if the perceived need is not diet, don't ram it down their throat. That's called force feeding. See? That's called force feeding. If the need is just to have somebody to talk to, that's ministry. The little boy sat on his grandfather's lap. The grandfather had just lost grandma. Grandma just had died. And as they sat there, uh, the mother came in and she said, Oh, hi, John. What are you doing, Johnny? He says, I'm just helping Grandpa to cry. He understood health ministry. He was meeting the whole need. The gospel of health, the gospel of health, needs to be seen as it truly is. It is a celebration that in these last days of earth's history, God has seen fit to give a health message to the church that will lead them from their brokenness to a more full capability of receiving and reacting to His grace. It is, if it's to give us an extra seven to ten years, it's not for our benefit, but that the works of God might be revealed, that the work of grace might be seen in our lives and in our activities. But I don't see that always when I see judgmental attitudes, when I see backbiting and criticism and exclusion or margination of this group or that group because this one eats meat so they marginalize that person. Or this one is a vegan so let's promote. You know, that's not the spirit of Jesus. That's not health ministry because celebration is a celebration of grace. That's why we've got the program called Celebrations to bring this theology. Theology, the celebrations of health is a theology that Health is given by God, and it is applied to the whole person and the guidelines for maximal enjoyment of life. It should also have at its core to be authentic and real. It must have caring, compassion, and love. Yesterday, I took couple of hours and I went to the beach. I almost felt guilty because I knew that there were workshops going on. And I thought for me to go to the beach when there's workshops going on, maybe as the health director of the world field. And then I thought to myself, Handysides, you're a hypocrite. You talk about rest. You talk about temperance. You talk about balance. Take your wife, your poor, you know, hard-working, forbearing wife, take her in the car and drive and sit on the beach for an hour and let the sea breezes come across the beach and watch the birds and see the people walking and enjoy the hard-packed sand there and, and, and look and say, God is good. We need balance, you see. We have to bring balance to our lives. We, we, we plan these meetings and we're talking at you, talking at you, talking at you. I'm sorry, we're going to have two hours over lunchtime. Go and do something. That's why we take you for a little walk. Clear your mind because it's important that we have some sense of balance. Health ministry, when it is a manifestation of faith 
hope and love now becomes a real thing. Now there are three defining paradigms here. There's the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. But the whole is when they are applied, all three of them. This is the same, remember last week we talked about unity, quality of life, and growth. But they all have to be balanced. We put them together so that we can incorporate it as a whole. Now the health message seeks to incorporate into the individual's very soul. That's whole ministry. Now we don't, you know, we don't spell this H-O-L-I-S-T because we don't want to be confused with the New Age holistic health movement. We're talking whole as all components brought together here. So the wellness of the individual family and the community. It takes all of these factors. Now, of course, we talk about the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, the mental, and the social, but we have to take into consideration the cultural too. There are different cultures. And we North Americans, as I've now become, although I was originally a European, we, we, we North Americans sometimes are a little arrogant. And we will take our our particular brand, our particular cultural brand, and, and put it onto people. There are occupational elements here. There are material and financial elements. Never forget that everybody can't afford what maybe an American can afford. Let's not be so blinded to the reality of the situation. And environmental. You know there are a dozen or so cities in the world where there are more cancers than anywhere else, where there is more lung disease, where there are more problems because they are polluted places. But the child who's born there has no choice. He has no voice. He grows up, maybe a child whose mother is drinking alcohol and he gets some brain damage. He didn't have a say in that. Maybe there was an Einstein reduced to a handy size because his mother drank. But not my mother, she didn't drink. But, but you know, you, you hear what I'm saying. It's, it's quite possible that all of these factors contribute to the wellness of the individual. Growth of the individual involves the wholeness of his being. If we're going to see all these parts brought together in unity, you see, these, these I don't know what they are, skydivers about in space or something, uh, diving around the world, but the, the, it's as they hold hands, as we take the various dimensions of life and bring them together. So often we live in this little cocoon of Adventism. I didn't have the privilege of growing up and going to a Seventh-day Adventist school. I saw to it that my children all went and had a Seventh-day Adventist education. But I didn't have the privilege. I would go to school in Britain, and sometimes going to a, a public school in Britain, you would go in, my father moved every couple of years, new school, new kid, you go to a new school, you know, you've got this funny feeling in your gut, and you go to the school, and the kids would say, what's your father do? My dad's a minister. Like in the government? No. Uh, in the church. What church? Seventh-day Adventist church. What? Seventh-day Adventist church. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. See? 
And that was the life of a young kid. There are many people growing up in situations where they only have a partial recognition of who they are. It's not appreciated where they are living. We need to tailor our message to make it compassionate and caring and to bring all of the factors that we're talking and bring all of the people and bring us all together. It doesn't matter whether we are a chip program or whether we are celebrations or whether we're over there doing New Start, but we've got to come together to present this balanced, holistic thing. Veganism is not the health message. Although it's important, perhaps, in the lives of some people, that is not the health message. In Step for Life is not the Adventist health message, although we interdigitate with the Obamas and let's move, and we, we, we create a relationship, very important, especially here in America, that we be seen as being participatory because we want to involve with the whole of society too. And so if we have this concept of who we are, where we're going, I believe we will serve the Lord better because whole people will make a wholesome church. You see, whole people will make a wholesome church. That means there's got to be young people. You know, my wife says to me, why is it that, why is it that in health ministries you get all the Q-tips? I say, what do you mean the Q-tips? She says, everybody's got a white head. I said, you know why it is? Because it's only when we start to come to our fading years, our declining years, to come when we start to lose our powers. We don't know what we had till it's gone, right? See, we don't know what we had. Like Jody used to sing in that song, you know, the yellow submarine. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. That's what it is for the world. For us, unfortunately, many of us come to this when we find that we are broken. But if we can take whole people and bring them into the wholeness of the church, you know, Gary Fraser is going to be, I'm going to present Gary Fraser, who's the principal investigator of the Adventist Health Study. We're going to give you the latest update in this course of his presentation. It's actually his presentation, not mine. And we'll show you how it, how it is going. But really, there is definitely a benefit of religion to health. Now, we must never be scared. Must never be scared to include religion as part of our health ministry. Dr. Landless, please stand up. I want you to tell them. We went to the Pan-American Health Organization, and I want them to, to tell me your reaction to me telling the world, the Pan-American Health Organization, who we were. Well, I must say that uh, as we were introduced to this very august group of people, um, Dr. Handyside got up and started to tell them about health ministries. And um, he introduced what the World Church does. And in fact, they had told us more about ourselves than we really knew about the work that's going on in certain areas. I mean, they've got statistics, what ADRA's doing, etc. So they, they shared all that with us. And then Dr. Handysides got up and uh, he was talking to a group of, I didn't know whether they were Christians or Muslims or Jews or atheists. And here we're going to make relationships, and he's telling them about the grace of Jesus. 
And uh, I've worked with the World, World Health Organization, and so has he. And uh, I thought this is not the best way to make friends and influence people because one of the biggest issues that the World Health has is that they have to deal with the world religions. But he very intentionally soldiered on and uh, at the beginning I was a little uncomfortable to be very, I'm being very honest with you. And I then thought has he lost it? Now I often think he's lost it, but at this, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and then I realized that he was being led of God's spirit. Because that was a crucial breakthrough in the relationship which is built up with the Pan American Health and the World Health Organization and actually set the pattern for some of the work that we're doing in the Middle East. So he was upfront, he was direct, and um, it's one of the few times I had to acknowledge to him that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you see, if you want to take a young lady out <clears throat> and you're 60 years old and you tell her that you're 45, You've started off wrong. If you want to do health ministry and you try to pretend that you're not who you are, there's an element of mistrust from the very beginning. I would much rather say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you may not be a Christian, you may be Islamic, but I believe in him. And that's what motivates me, because I want to be like him. And just as he didn't make any difference between Jew nor Greek, I don't make any difference between Catholic and Pentecostal, Islam or the Jew, but I am a Seventh-day Adventist. And I believe that that is very important if we are going to have a whole church. <clears throat> You know, there are some things that we as Adventists do or say that we've got to stand behind it. Seventh-day Adventists believe in immunization. Mrs. White was inoculated against smallpox by using vaccinia, the cow vaccine. So she gave us an example, and that was in the early days of immunization. And yet I get letters from people if we recommend immunization programs, say, against the flu epidemic. They say, why are you taking this particular stance? Because we support immunization. Why? Because it saves lives. In the United States of America, they have an outbreak of measles every now and again. And what do they always boil it down to? It's always some religious group that is small and tiny that has refused immunization for its children. And they become the nidus or the focus of an outbreak. And it then spreads a little bit around. Of course, we don't have epidemics of measles like we used to have that killed off huge populations of the Native American peoples. But you get a little outbreak. And then they say, huh, it's this religious group that didn't support the immunization programs. 
But as Adventists, we're not, we're not people that are so narrow in our thinking and, and, and follow these things. Now, if an individual says, I don't believe in immunization, we also believe in individual freedom and choice. It's the first letter of creation. It's the first letter of celebrations. Choice. It all begins with choices. We believe in that, but the evidence is overwhelming. When I was a child, I saw hundreds of people in the city. They died. 400 people died in the city that I lived in in 1954 of polio. In one city of maybe 200,000 people, 400 died, even a member of the church. So when they came around and they wanted to immunize the children, were we as a people going to say, no, no, we don't do that? No, we're not a people of don't. We in our Seventh-day Adventist religion, recognize the importance of modern medicine. Sometimes I hear in church, we don't want to go to doctors. We don't want to take medicine. Ellen White was 100% right in saying, don't take the medicine. Because in her era, the medicine was absolute poison. I've got a Merck's manual from 1901, no, it was 1898. That's what, that's what the one I've got. A little copy of it. Every single one of the medicines, they were poisons, man. They were ridiculous. To have been a physician and dispensing that stuff, that was poison. But when penicillin was discovered, when penicillin was discovered, it killed bacteria and saved lives. I've seen children with meningitis whose lives have been clutched from the jaws of death because of an antibiotic. Do you not think that Mrs. White would have used a penicillin or an antibiotic if, if, if it were available in her day? Of course. So we bring this balance. We cannot be anachronistic and try to live in the 21st century as though we were living still in the 19th century. The principles must go through, but the balance must be there. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes when I think about Ellen White and, and her stance, I think how perspicacious she was, how she looked so clearly at these matters and was not willing to make statements that would lead the church astray. It's a wonder because, you know, the health reform message is not and did not originate with Seventh-day Adventists. The health reformers that she refers to were not Adventists. They were the followers of Sylvester Graham and Russell Troll, who were not Adventists. Many of them were invited to write in The Health Reformer. And after three years, when she was looking after her husband, she came back and she said, these men have been too extreme. And she took them off writing for The Health Reformer because they were absolute extremists. She said, keep to the middle path. So if we're going to follow the advice of our, of our leader, that's what we will do. Religion cannot function as a mental health treatment for the psychotic, the schizophrenic, or the bipolar, or the depressed. Some person who is wrapped in this cocoon here, I'm sorry the picture's so blurry, is wrapped in this cocoon of, of abject misery is not necessarily going to be treated by religion. Yes. The church has, uh, he is asking me the question, what is the church's stance on things such as homeopathy and alternative medicines? You see, the church has been thinking about this very carefully.
Yes, and the scientific background. He asked him about scientific background. The church has thought about this, and that's why I said the church has said the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, or an evidence base. Now, you see, if there is an evidence base for a treatment that it is effective, it is no longer, it is no longer an alternative. It is a therapy. It's not an alternative therapy. It's a therapy. Now, it may be complementary that you add it with something else. But it's not an alternative to something that is scientifically proven. It is complementary. Or it may be, in fact, that's how a, a therapy becomes the prime therapy. Because if we can show that 90% of the people who do this get better, and it's only 60% of the people who do that get better, which are you going to use, this or that, assuming that the side effects and the backgrounds are the same? So obviously, this is the thing. Now, when it comes to specifics of homeopathy, now you're asking very specific questions for which the General Conference policy has a specific answer. Because certain things, like swinging pendulums, or homeopathy, where you dilute a substance down so that actually there may not even be one molecule of that substance in the residue that you're going to use as a treatment. And when you bring this to the attention of the homeopathist, the physician, he says, ah, but the water has a memory that that medicine was in it. You know, when, when you start to, to get that, that we are now getting into the paraphysical and the paranormal and, and, and into the metaphysical. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has no part with that because that's bordering on spiritism. And the scientific world doesn't have a part with that, you see. So when, when something is done, for instance, therapeutic touch, there was a young girl wrote for her scientific program in school on scientific touch, you know, on, on uh, healing touch. You know, the, 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 it is claimed that some people can put their hands so close to you but not actually touch you, but they can heal you with magnetic or energy powers, all right? Make diagnoses by therapeutic touch, you see. Not touching, but just picking up. She took a curtain. She put those therapeutic touch healers on one side of the curtain. She put other people or no people on the other side. And then she asked them, and she found that there was no evidence at all that they could tell whether there was a person behind the curtain, was not a person behind the curtain. You know, it was complete jiggery pokery. Hocus pocus, you see. Now, of course, the church doesn't believe in that kind of thing. Religion can become positively dangerous. Positively dangerous when it encourages child abuse, sexual abuse, and other forms of victimization, as we sometimes see in cults, where the cult leader, he has sex with all the women. You know, this is not, we're not talking about this kind of religion. Our religion is based on the loving care of Jesus Christ. It's Christocentric. We believe that Jesus is the source of our health. His example of compassion and caring is ours. When caring is so important to us that we unabashedly bring them the blessing of our experience of religion along with whatever else it is, when we are quite willing to be authentic Christians in our relationship with them, we represent the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never backed off that he was the Son of God. Never. 
we must never back off from the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? See? But, but we don't have to be unkind in that, but we must never back off being who we really are. We face momentous times in the closing days of Earth's history. The gospel of health is to be firmly linked to the ministry of the Word. It is the Lord's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be part of the last great efforts to proclaim the gospel. This is found in Medical Missionaries, page 259. We are going to see this year the annual council, the emphasis placed on putting the gospel ministry into the health ministry and the health ministry into the gospel ministry so that the two are inextricably woven together. But it will always be a ministry of grace. It has to be a ministry of grace. There was never such an evangelist as Christ. And during his ministry he devoted so much time to healing. But when Jesus was on the earth, the common people, the sinners, the people thronged him. Oh, that they would throng our churches as they thronged him on the hillsides around Jerusalem. And we need to ask ourselves, why do they not still throng our churches? Perhaps it's because they don't see Jesus in our churches. Perhaps when they were there, they could see Jesus. They could breathe the fresh air. Ellen White says the Savior's work was not restricted to any time or place. Where is the church on Tuesday? Yeah, it's at work. It's in the cobbler's office. It's flying the airline. It's being a waitress. The church is doing work. But the Savior's work was not restricted to the synagogue. The Savior's work was not restricted to preordained programs. The Savior's work was not just when he was teaching a particular lesson, but as I said this morning, as he passed by. And that's what we want to have. Health ministry to become part of the life of the church, not just the lifestyle of the church. Literature is replete with the benefits of lifestyle to health. Health benefits attend our church attendance. Health benefits attend our interpersonal relationships and our devotional time. But it is always in a balanced, unfanatical practice. The middle path that Ellen White talks of repetitively this is the most productive of health. So one of the foundations we've been doing this morning, just building some premises, some undergirding thoughts, is that we have a balanced ministry. My wife said that I could take that photograph of her and myself when we were younger on the elephant. <laughs> 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 well,
What does it say? Love never fails. Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.